Hey, this is Magnus Carlson. You are listening to Focus on Metal. Hey, Metalheads, Scott here. I'm Richie. And as promised, talking, I think this is what, Maiden episode number four, I think? I think that's right. Sounds, sounds right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, as as Richie intimated last time, uh, it's a polarizing number four. Yeah, because we are talking about the three records after Fear of the Dark. Yep. Yep. And, um... It, it, they're they're different for at least okay two out of the three are different for a lot of reasons the first one is just plain old visually like there was definitely this point in time where maiden hopped full into computer graphics probably to the detriment of their quality of their cover art well they got rid of Derek Riggs for what was the last album he did no prayer well, he, he, but he, didn't does, do, he didn't do Fear the Dark. No, but he did come back for Brave. Yeah. Part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Part of it. <laughs> Part yeah. of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, the, just these, I think, are examples of, of kind of more of a different format stuff that visually didn't work. Kind of like uh, uh, Dances with Death one, too, was like. Uh, looked rather flat, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, but anyways, I mean, we're talking X-Factor, yeah, Virtual Eleven, and, and Brave New World. Yeah. yeah. So how did you f- how'd you feel when Bruce left? I was one of those people who was disappointed. Like, holy crap, you know, you've it's like people are dropping off like flies here. And... um I would say that based upon how things were going already with the prior albums, that it wasn't, it, how would I put this? If this had been like somewhere in time and then Bruce left, I think that would be much more of a stunning thing than Bruce leaving after Fear of the Dark, where it was like, yeah, okay, that sucks. But it's like, okay, well, maybe somebody can bring back some energy, just like Bruce brought in a different kind of energy when he came in for Paul. Not that Paul didn't have energy, but Bruce brought in a different dynamic. And so that dynamic was kind of not there anymore. And partly I think it's Bruce, and partly it's also wherever um, you know Harry wanted things to go as well. So you get more kind of more prog than new album happening as well but i i don't i wasn't i said i was disappointed but i wasn't like you know pulling my hair out disappointed on it i think it was only a matter of time if you if you started reading interviews even you know a couple of years before he even left Mm -hmm. um you could read between the lines there and see that he wanted bruce wanted to do something else he 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 did the solo record Mm. as a tattoo millionaire uh, which is not like Maiden at all. Yeah. Um, just to get that out of his out of his hair, uh, and then of course he did announce that he was leaving, and he still had shows to do. And I don't know whether you've read Mick Wall's book Run to the Hills. Um, it's, it's the official did. biography of Maiden. Yeah, I don't think I did. Okay. That's weird. <laughs> and I know Nico in the book. It was pretty critical of Bruce at times after he announced he was leaving for he mail he'd mail in the lesser known air venues. Yeah. And then like if he was in the US it'd be like, you know, if he if he was in bumfuck Midwest somewhere, he 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 wouldn't be as good as he would be in LA okay. or, or New York. Yeah. It was, it was something like that that he, that Nico was saying. And of course Bruce denied it. Hmm. Um so there was already there was already tension there. And then they did uh, that Simon Drake thing. Did you ever see that uh, with the magician? It was his last show. 
they recorded a show in uh, I think it was in Pinewood Studios in London. Really? Yeah, and it was it was Maiden, and then in between songs, Simon Drake had come out and do some magic acts. <laughs> it, it, it was odd. It, it was odd. Uh, and then, of course, Bruce was gone. Uh-huh. And that was that. That concert was. It's out there. It's. it's it was released years ago. It's in Pinewood um, where they did the last Beatles thing too. I'm, it's, it's a famous studio in yeah, London. They've done a shit was. ton of movies. Anyways, um, and then of course Bruce was gone, and then the rumor mill starts, um, and of course the the guy I I thought would suit Maiden the best was Michael Kiske from Halloween. Huh, yeah. Uh, Halloween had released uh, Pink Bubbles Go Ape. Uh-huh. That didn't really do well. Nope. Uh, I believe Rod Smallwood and Andy Taylor were managing Halloween. Um, did Michael try out? I'm not 100% sure if he, if he tried. Yeah. Um, I just thought that they needed a singer like Bruce. Yeah. Um, and then when you look at the other names that were out there, uh, Dougie White was one who uh, who now sings in Alcatraz. Yeah, uh, Scottish guy, yeah. great singer, singer uh, Shanker. He's, he's yeah, great. Yeah, he's fabulous. He sang and with stuff, Michael Shanker this, for years. Yeah, I mean, and stuff he did with Rainbow, with, with Rainbow too. Yeah, yeah. He did the Rainbow record. That's great Stranger stuff. In the yeah, that's a great um, album. That is a good album. Yeah. That kind of it got overlooked because. In a lot of ways, it was a contractual obligation for right. Richie. But it's a, it, it was a, it was a great album. It is it is yeah. a good record. And then the stuff he did with Shanker is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And then there was Steve Grimmett, I believe, was another name. Um, and it was there's a shit ton of names out. Yeah. And when they announced Blaze Bailey was the singer, I was shocked. Yeah. Um, not because I don't love Blaze, but I, I love Blaze and Wolfsbane. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I was fortunate enough to see Wolfsbane support Iron Maiden in Dublin uh, just before No Prayer for the Dying came out. Okay. And <clears throat> Wolfsbane were excellent. Yeah. I thought that the, the music they'd released up on, up to then was really, really good. Hmm. Um, they were just a straight, you know, floor to, you know, pedal to the floor, yep. hard rock, four minute yep. tracks, you know. Right. Straight in your face rock band. With, and, um, and then they decided to get Blaze in. And I don't blame Blaze for joining at all. Like, he's going sure. from Wolfsbane yeah. to fucking Iron Maiden. Right. right? And, and Even but, if it is a tough act to follow. I, I always look, looked at that choice this way. I remember when Paul left and Bruce joined the band for The Number of the Beast, that one of the things that the band always said was that they needed a singer with a different style of voice mm-hmm. to, to be able to handle the new music that they were doing. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, what Iron Maiden did with the X Factor was very proggy, l- mm. intricate, very long songs. Yes. Um, that, in my opinion, were crying out for a singer that had a, a Bruce-type Mm-hmm. Singer to sing, to sing the songs. Yeah, right. Um, and that would be. I mean, in, in in Kiski would have filled the bill with that too because of. I mean, he had done some of that. You know, the Halloween always had the proggy leanings too. You know, and it would kind of it would have fit. Kiski was young. I think Kiski. I think Kiski when he did Keeper Part One. I think it was twenty one, twenty two. Might have like been that, younger yeah. than that. So he would have been young, mm-hmm. at the top of his game. Um. He would have left a band that were still on EMI, um, but the album that they just did tanked. Yeah. Um, and maybe it was Rod and Andy Taylor being stubborn, saying we still have faith in the band, mm. or our band, because you know the Noise Records book that we, right. we uh, damn the machine. Yeah. There's a shit ton of that about what happened with Halloween, mm-hmm. getting out of Noise. And getting signed by EMI and Rod Smallwood, right. like it was really protracted, uh, cost a shit ton of money. So maybe Rod said, "Right, I'm sticking with Halloween as well because mm. I've invested all this money and time in the band. Right. There's no point in me because he'd kill the band. Yeah. If he took Michael Kiske out of Halloween, then I think with, Probably, the, with yeah. the way the, with the way the musical climate was going towards yep. traditional metal, I think it would have killed Halloween anyway. Plus yeah. the fact that the album they'd already done 
tanked. Right. Now, they went ahead and did Chameleon, and that didn't go over well either. <laughs> but, and then, then Michael Kiske left. Yeah. But, uh, but with Blaze, I, when, you, when I look at the X Factor record, I think he's brilliant on the shorter songs. Man on the Edge, excellent. Yeah, there's, I mean, for me, you know, I look at that and I was like, you know, there's, there's, there is not a lot of, of moments on here. And when they are, they, again, they are very short or you, you end up having something where it's like, oh, that's a cool riff. And then it just doesn't seem to go where you want it to go. Yeah. Um, I think, didn't Steve Harris say he was going through a divorce at the time he was writing that and recording it? I, uh, I don't remember. To, yeah, I believe that had a lot to do with the the, the tempo of a lot of the songs. Maybe it's um yeah it it's a, it's 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 a very dirgy album. Yeah, it's um. There's people when they talk about Maiden Records, when they absolutely love that record. Like I I mean love love it. Yeah. Right. I think it's either a record that you really really love, or one that you don't really listen to. Yeah, a hell of a lot when it comes to the Maiden catalog. Yeah, and for me, I I'm definitely the latter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I hadn't listened to it for years, and because I knew we were going to be doing this, um, I listened to it again, and like, the first song, "Sign of the Cross," eleven minutes long, uh-huh. like, three or four minutes to go anywhere. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's again, it's this long song that opens the album. Yeah, and this is this is definitely one of these albums where they started this thing of these incredibly long intros that yeah, that used to just kind of almost be a running joke was mm. like great, you know, yeah, again, they've got a 10-minute song and you know, eight of it is an intro. It's it's crazy. And you have a new singer in the band and you don't hear him. Yeah. For the first few minutes. <laughs> um, yeah. Lord of the Flies I like uh, I actually saw Bruce sing that in Dublin hmm. on the, I think it was the Dance of Death tour. Yeah. Yeah, and that's one of the ones that actually does have some, some cool riffs in and it. And that was a single as well. Um, Fortunes of War, I like. Um, what else is on it? Um, oh, you got... Yeah. yeah. I, can, I, I, I can't... I'm not, <laughs> my eyesight's going. Yeah, you and me um, both. Look for the Truth, I like. Uh, Judgment of Heaven is the one song on this album that highlights for me, in my opinion, yeah. why Bruce does not suit this band. The way he sings at the beginning of that. Yeah. To me, he sounds like he's off-key or something. Mm. It's just odd. Um, this is just my opinion. I, yeah. lo- I, actually, I love Bruce. I love Blaze. Mm-hmm. Did I say Bruce? You did. <laughs> That's all right. Right. It's, I mean, Blaze. <laughs> um, I love Blaze Bailey. I think his solo stuff is fantastic as well. Yeah. I just didn't think he suited this, a lot of these songs. Yeah. Um, Blood on the World Hands is, is really good. Um, 2 a.m. Um, and then the Aftermath is oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, to me, it was just the whole... The whole pace, like all of it, and again, I think also, yeah, you get you get you saw Blaze coming in, and, and you were thinking, okay, well, I know where this guy came from. Great, this is going to have some of these, like, kind of more old school, major, faster pace, quicker stuff. Exactly. You know, this like really kind of injection back, and and instead, it's like, holy crap, this is too damn slow for me. Like, it's just it's plodding. And just yeah, and the album's seventy-two or seventy-three minutes long. Yeah, this is Maiden really embracing the CD yeah. age. Yeah, um, and again, this is where a band should not put mu- enough music on a CD just because they can. Right, right. Um, that I think this album definitely needed some uh, some editing, but that's something that's been leveled at Maiden for a long time now. Yeah, and they were Even still you, going you through the <laughs> the other you know recording facilities and all that, and then you know this whole just the cover. Is, That's Hugh Syme, isn't it? The guy did the Rush albums, and uh, yeah, it's but it's if you if you took away the Iron Maiden logo above it, you would probably be hard pressed to go. Oh, that's Eddie. Yeah, you might think. 
Oh, is this a Megadeth album? <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't. I don't know whether you remember this because I I have the CD here, but there was two covers. If you look at the CD booklet, you have the cover that you have, which is the up yeah, close one, right? And then on on the back, yeah, you've got that. Yeah. So you can put that in as the cover. Yeah. And I believe there was trouble with the cover. Yeah, and and it, and definitely when you look at this one, that's like that's like classic Hugh. Yeah, because it's 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 that dimension and the yeah. vista and all of that. You yeah. know what I mean? You get this, you get this other kind of thing. But again, you look at the this regular one and you take away the Maiden thing, and you'd be like, "Oh, that could be an Iron Maiden." I mean, a, a Megadeth cover for all you know. You don't associate this as Eddie. Yeah, but when you look at the the Maiden albums up until then, the title of the record. Always had something to do with the cover. Uh-huh. If you look at that cover, where does X Factor right. come and, into and, play unless there? Unless you go with the alternate cover, Ex- when you have yeah. the giant ass X behind him. Yeah, <laughs> but when you look at that cover, the up close one, yeah, that has nothing to do it, with the title of the record. Not. No, not at all. Not at all. Even yeah, even on the back, yeah, it's like it. It doesn't. Yeah, yeah. The all, the other thing that Maiden did, which was interesting on 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 that on this record, um. There was non-album tracks, studio tracks as B-sides. Yeah. And there wasn't just one. There was like three or four of them. And the songs were far from shit. Hmm. They were shorter. Um, didn't make the record. Yeah. Uh, again, I don't know why. Maybe the band, well, the band, <laughs> Steve Harris and Rod <laughs> <Yeah>. Smallwood, <laughs> obviously thought that yeah. they weren't good enough for the record. Right. I think I live... What was it? Justice of the Peace, I think, is the name of one of them. I think I Live My Way might be another one. I'd, I'd, hmm. I'd have to go back and look. Um, but they did release them. Yeah. And when you look at all the other Maiden records, there's not that many uh, studio tracks that hmm. weren't on the records as B-sides. They're nearly all covers or live tracks. Yeah. So that was the, that was a new one. The, the other thing I do remember about that record, um, I wasn't buying Kerrang! at the time. A lot. Yeah. It depends who was in it. I remember Kerrang, I think, the, the writer for Kerrang gave it three Ks out of five. Mm-hmm. I believe Steve Harris, the word is that he turned up at Kerrang <laughs> to, looking for the reviewer <laughs> to have a word with him. <laughs> oh, man. And I think Steve Harris is not the guy you want to fucking get on the wrong side of. <laughs> eh, yeah, probably not. <laughs> and I did not see the tour for that. Um, yeah. I, I, even in even in Ireland at that stage, the, the band had gone from playing the Point Depot, which was about seven or eight thousand. Yeah. When they did that tour, they were in the SFX in Dublin, which held about a thousand. Yeah. Uh, all within the space of three years. Um. A lot. Some of that was probably to do with Bruce leaving, I'm sure, and then it was the musical environment in the at the time. Yeah. Traditional metal. Same thing happened to Judas Priest. They weren't playing the same size venues. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think they, were, they ended up doing clubs over here. I believe on that on that tour. I don't remember much about any of the touring. I think Dio toured with for them. any of these three albums. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I know they definitely toured over here. Um, on a, uh, on, on on both the records because it was it was really low key and then I don't like them from a touring entity dropped off my go to see a show map until matter of life and death where they played the uh, hockey arena at BC okay <laughs> played the whole record yeah, too they, uh, yeah they played the Aganis yeah it's like um but yeah this this like they just kind of, yeah, from a uh, kind of a touring, like, oh, shit, I got to go see that show. Like, they, they dropped off my radar for that entirely. Mm. And the other thing I was looking at was this, when I was looking at this CD. Yeah. And I'm a big Maiden fan. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, and I think the day out, there was a place in Dublin, I think it was called Freebird Records. And um, I couldn't get in the day it came out or the day after. I had to wait until the weekend. Mm. And I went into Freeboard Records that weekend and I got it for like four, four, four pounds or something like that. Yeah. People were already getting, it's a promo copy. 
people were, people were, and there was a lot of them in there. Yeah. People obviously bought it, listened to it, and said, not a fan of this, and they, they were flagging uh, them off. Yeah. So they didn't even have to pay full price for it. <laughs> Score. <Wow. laughs> so that. We'll, so we'll move on yeah. to Virtual 11, but before we do that, uh, I believe they did, and I still have this, they did release a standalone single called Virus. Mm. You ever heard that? I don't think I did. Yeah, it's a studio song that they're, I'm nearly sure it was released before uh, Virtual 11. I've got it at home, mm. and uh, it's got some covers on the uh, on the B-side. Again, I haven't heard it in in years and I have no idea why they actually released that mm. as a single um, I, I don't I don't know I'd have to really dig into it yeah it sounds I, like if they were doing you know prior that they did the releases with B-sides that were new songs and now then they released that that maybe you know Rod was trying some other crap and see whether how he could drum up interest in a different channel or something like that And yeah it, it just seemed odd to me that it, it, Oh, Iron Maiden are releasing a new song from what a movie? No, I don't think so. Just mm. a new song. I'm like, why? Mm. What the fuck? Mm. Keep keeping them relevant or something? I, I yeah, don't I don't know. Maybe. But the other thing about the X Factor, when you look at it, a lot of Harris, a lot of Yannick. Yep. Right. Right. Yep. Um, I don't think Dave Murray wrote on it. Nico, no. Um, Blaze a little bit. Yeah. Uh. But it was definitely the the Steve and Yannick show when it came to writing. Um, and co- then we move on to Virtual Eleven. Yeah. Um, shit cover. Sorry, it's cra- I, I I thought it was crap then. I still it, think it's crap. It it is, and 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 now I kind of look at it, and I think of that movie It or the TV show yeah. It or whatever. Yeah. That's that's what this reminds me of mm-hmm. now. Of course, obviously, I wasn't thinking that then. But again, this is another one of these ones where the artwork isn't quite right. For me, you know, for no. them, I think. And again, I don't see Eddie. I I see something, but I I I don't associate what I'm seeing as Eddie. Yeah, you know. So it's it's yeah. I, I just don't. Yeah, I don't like the. Company. So if you open that up, yep. Now, see the, all those footballers. Yep. If you're if you're not familiar at all with football, soccer, yep, or the English Premier League. And you're anywhere else in the world. You have no fucking clue who any of them are. I remember looking at it at the time. Yeah. And I knew all the players. So, like, there's Mark Overmars, Patrick Vieira, Ian Wright, Paul Gascoigne is in it. Um, like, I know the players with the Maiden guys in it as well. Yeah. And we all know how big a football fan Steve Harris is. Yes. And the rest of the guys. But for anybody else, that picture would be head-scratching. It's like, yes. what, what the fuck? Yep. I know the 11 probably has to do with the 11 players, and I think it might have been Maiden's 11th record. Hmm. Um, but just just odd having having that. It as, is, as yeah. The, as the pitch, yeah, the it pitchers. is. Yeah, because I mean, uh, yeah, when I, I was looking at it, and it's like, huh? What? Who, are, who are these guys? You know, it's like, okay, I know that sometimes they like play on tour, and I was thinking at first when I opened it up, like, these like some of the other guys on the road crew with them and you know because playing pickup games or yeah. and it's like but then you know you can read it and go oh no wait a minute this is these is who they they actually play for so yeah. it's like okay no they're, they're all they're, they're all real players yeah but it's um, just pass that over to me for a second yeah. I just want to have, have, have a quick look in this because one of the things I'm looking for um I don't no West Ham players <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's just an odd cut. It's just weird. Yep. Just fucking weird. Um, I, I remember even even now I look at it and I'm like, it makes no fucking sense. <laughs> it's like Steve Harris saying, "I'm fuck. I love football. I'm just going to get a picture with a lot of these footballers." Right. Um, but if you're someone living over here, or fucking, I don't know, some, you know, right? And yeah. You don't follow it. It's like. Fuck are all these guys? And again, it's like so. Those are the virtual eleven. Well, what do you mean? They're not virtual. They're like, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I didn't get it. It was it was bizarre. Yeah, yeah. So the songs. Yeah. Um, Angel and the Gambler was the first single. Fuck me, those keyboards at the beginning of it. <laughs> this is oh. another album that is. You now you look at this and go, okay, 
as much as I don't like the, uh, the cover art, you look at it and go, okay, this seems like maybe there's a little bit more ferocity to this. And you look at the back cover and you look at Blaze, and Blaze looks like he's ready to bite somebody's head off in that back cover picture, and you're thinking, all right, all right, maybe we've got something that's got a little bit more teeth back in it again. And nope. I was more of a fan of this than the X Factor. I would agree with that. Right. Yeah. I flipped. When I started listening to these two records again, Yeah. I'm a bigger fan now of the X Factor than I am hmm. of this. Um, the Angel and the Gambler goes on forever. And he says the same fucking line over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Oh, my God. Some of, the, some of the lyrics on this are embarrassing. It's like, this rhymes with this, and it rhymes with this. <laughs> when two worlds collide, who will survive? Yeah. There's nowhere to hide. <laughs> oh, my God. Really? Um, Future Real is really good. Uh, Lightning Strikes Twice, I like. The Clansman is excellent. Yeah. Um, Bruce, I think, has sang, he saw, uh, sang. He sung Future Real, and I think the Clansman is nearly in a lot every show. Yeah. Or every second tour. Um, they always bring that out, and it always goes over really well. Yeah. Um, and it's a good, I mean, it's a good crowd song, it too. Because, yeah, it's kind of just, it's got those refrains, and it gets people going, and yeah. Um, two Worlds Collide. But I'll say is that the Clansman is better live than on the album. Well, I can say that about a lot of songs. Um, don't Look to the Eyes of a Stranger, I, I like. Como Estas Amigos is very good. Um, more of a ballad. Yeah. Just really, really well done. Um, but again, this album flopped. Yeah. Um, just didn't, I think Maiden fans were, bleh. Yeah, and I, and I, I honestly think that, because again, Blaze is like not a shit singer. That if they had just opted to just get their heads out of their asses and put in, you don't have to do an entire album of four minute songs, but get a few punchy songs that have the energy that leverage that guy's talent and voice to your benefit. It probably would have grabbed a lot more ears. What what Iron Maiden should have done was done a nor pay for the dying with Blaze singing. Hmm. Because that's ten songs, four minutes, forty five minutes. You're out. Yeah. Um, and then they did seventy three minute record with the X Factor, and yeah. they did now did that's only fifty three minutes. Yeah. But some like two songs are nearly ten. Right. One of them is over eight, and one of them seven, and, and one of them six. Right. Um. <laughs> I, yeah, it's kind of like I said. It, it's they really needed to leverage more of that. Not that they had to go total throwback, but a lot of those songs that they had before, like that, it's you just you need that. And and if you're getting, you would think that okay, that first one, it's dirgy. Let's all right. What do we do? What can we reverse this? And you don't go. Oh, we'll, we'll cut a few songs out, but still leave everything mostly long and at this mid to slow tempo. It I, I just. It doesn't equal Maiden for me. Mm. At the time that came out, I believe Bruce had done Skunk, Boss of Picasso, definitely. Skunk Works, which I really like, and a lot, you know, there's certain people out there that love that record, but it was definitely uh, Bruce taking a risk, mm-hmm. getting all these younger musicians in and getting a bit more modern. Yep. Um, very good record. Then he did Accident Avert, which was his return to. Yeah more traditional metal and then he did what I believe is one of the best records he ever did with the but I think it was done after that around the same time he did a chemical wedding mm-hmm. which is a fucking masterpiece which in my opinion bl- fucking blows away those two records yeah um, and maybe one or two of the ones that he did with Maiden before he left yeah um, but I think that's the tour they had Dio on uh, oh, uh, supporting and I believe that tour for Virtual Eleven is the one where Blaze had trouble singing uh, in the US on certain shows. They got cancelled. Mm. He lost his voice. Focus. Um, that's a that's a big big act to follow. Bruce Dickinson 
Yeah. And you had Blaze trying trying to sing those songs. Yeah. Um and he had a very different voice. Yeah. Um Yeah, and that, I mean that's the other part, right? Is is I mean, granted, Maiden is you know, got this thing now where they they will go out and do an, uh, a tour that's mostly that new album, like, and then they'll go, okay, great, you did that. We'll reward you by the next time we're going to do a more of a best of thing and go back and forth. But I mean, for this stuff, yeah, again, he's going to, there's got to be more of a lean on a lot of that older material. Than well, this. he would have he been fine with the Diano stuff. Mm-hmm. The Dickinson stuff would have been a struggle for yeah. him. Um, and the fans would have noticed it. Cause yeah. They, they have those songs in their head a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, if if you have Blaze Bailey singing those songs and he's struggling, right? Um, the fans are loyal, yeah, but they're not that loyal, right? And and it's it is tough. I mean, it's Bruce has got a unique capability that he can go and sing a Diano song and make it his own and have it accepted and. He doesn't try to duplicate Paul. He kind of gives credence to what Paul did, but he kind of he he just puts his own little thing on it that you that you if you never knew that Paul was on those first albums, then you wouldn't realize it that oh wait a minute Bruce wasn't really on this before. But he makes it his own. Yeah, it's tough with with Blaze because now yeah again Blaze could probably do you know Diano just fine, but. Yeah, you start to try to do a lot of the stuff like, you know, run to the hills and stuff. And with the pacing and breathing and everything else you have to do and the high notes. And it's and if that's not really where you typically are going to be, yeah, it sucks. And the maiden shows are long. Yeah, and that's, that's, and that's a thing, too, that, you know, you get Bruce comes out and, you know, sings like Running Free on the Peace of Mind tour. And the lion's share of people on that tour never heard Paul sing it. So they think, oh, well, this must be the way that it is. Now you got Blaze, and he goes out and tries to do something off of one of those albums. Well, everybody in that audience pretty much knows how it sounded originally. And he's got a hell of an act to follow. Yeah, like a song, just, I don't I don't think they did it when Blaze is in the band, but take a song like Ace is High. Yeah. Blaze trying to sing that. Yeah. There's a lot of, oct- is octaves the right word? There's a lot of... Um, strains on your voice yeah. you've got to you're going from one level to right. another level to another level right and Bruce could do it but they probably had to pick and choose a bit more with the Bruce stuff that they had to do with Blaze right and, and it is it's I mean it is a different kind of singing because it is you know some people sing with the throat some you know Bruce is really a combination where he's got his breathing down and he's using his diaphragm and he's able to make a lot of that work so that his throat has to work less and you know, everybody's different, but it definitely throws you off if you're trying to sing something the same way somebody else did it. It isn't in your nature to be that way. Yeah, and I'm not saying something that other people haven't said. Um, but when I hear the live versions of those songs that Blaze did with Bruce singing them, I prefer them with Bruce singing them. Yeah. And even at the time, the likes of the Klansman, uh, I remember hearing that with Blaze, mm-hmm. thinking to myself, Fuck me, Bruce would have been brilliant doing this. Yeah. Um, and I'm probably not the only person who taught that. Now, there's people there who love the Blaze Bailey era. Good for you. Yeah. I like, I like some of it, and there's some of it I just don't like at all. Yeah. Um, I, I went in with the notion that I didn't think he'd suit Maiden anyway, um, because I was a Wolfsbane fan. Yeah. And they're just two different voices. Sure. And... Did that affect the way I viewed the Maiden records? Of course it did. Yeah. Because um, I was thinking they were going to get a Michael Kiske or a, a more operatic right. style singer. Right. And, and and they didn't. And I think in the end, they, they suffered from it. Yeah. And, and the thing too is, is I don't blame Blaze at all. No. So I almost not. look back at these this albums. Like, this is like Gary Sharon with Van Halen. I, actually, Sharon. I was going to say, this is like Steel Dragon. <laughs> right, that Blaze might have come in with all kinds of ideas, right? And he gets no, no, mate. You just sing what I tell you to sing, and then that's it. Yeah, and and I'm sure that a lot of this is, hey, how does Steve want it to go? 
if you're going to be in the band, you're going to do it the way I want it to go. And so I don't think there was a lot of good quality input that Blaze was probably able to bring into it. And it was kind of like, all right, well, I'm getting exposure. It's a pretty decent gig to have. I'm just going to do my best on it. So I don't, I don't blame him. No. Because obviously the guy can sing. And he's proved it again and again. And he can still do it. So, you know, uh, like I said, I don't, I don't blame him for that. I think that there is, there is a, a thing of stepping into this, following up with Bruce Dickinson, and probably not having the same amount of collaboration you would like to have or the input you would like to have into your own performances. You, you have to wonder how much convincing, do you, if the other guys even had a, a say, how much convincing they took that he, Blaze, was the right choice. Mm. Um, was it unanimous? Um, I know it's Steve's band, and I know if Steve and Rod run the band. Yeah. Um, and you're never going to find out from Dave, Nico, no. or Yannick, never, ever, ever, um, how they really felt about the decision to bring Blaze into the band. Yeah. Um, I, I'd love to know, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, really... The band had nowhere to go after this. Um, I think if they had a stuck with Blaze, they would have been done. If if they stuck with him and continued with this cadence of song, yeah. Yeah, I think Iron Maiden would have been done in three or four years. Um, they, weren't go- they weren't playing the big venues mm-hmm. anymore. And they were stagnant yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and you just have to look at the rest of the bands around, you know, there was rumours that Halford was coming back to Priest. Yeah. And, you know, Ronnie James Dio was going through tough times as well. We've spoken to enough guys that played with with Ronnie that some of the places he was playing, I think Vinnie Appice mentioned to us that there was a couple of places when he turned up, he looked at the place and said, this is beneath Ronnie. Yeah. Um, But he did the show. Um, It was just a tough time for metal, especially in the US and, and, and in a lot of places in Europe. Germany, I think, was still big into Maiden. Yeah. And then South America, of course, they're fucking crazy down there. They've right. always been rabid into the band. But they really did have nowhere to go. It was it was when it was Bruce was returning to metal. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, he'd got Adrian in for the chemical wedding. And, and a, a lot of people were looking at Bruce and Adrian saying, yeah. fucking hell, and he got, some good, he got some good collaborators in there, too. He did. You know he, what he I mean? Z, yeah, that's what I mean. Who yeah. was Halford's guy. Yeah. Like, in a lot of ways, you can say that Roy Z resurrected Bruce Dickinson and Rob Halford's careers. Yeah. Because um, he did Resurrection and he did Crucible. Uh-huh. Yeah. He did Dickinson stuff. Yeah. He's a fucking great guy. Great yeah. guy. Great Everything producer. he works on is like, yep. holy shit. And apparently, he's, there's a new album with Dickinson that is done. Mm solo record that I can't wait to hear because um, Tourney of Souls the one he did after he rejoined Maiden is fucking excellent as well yeah. um, but of course was I shocked Bruce came back uh, no was I shocked when Adrian came back most definitely yes mm. um, and I think a lot of people were shocked at that yeah. more than anything um, I think they expected that the band had gone as far as they could with Blaze Um and for purely economic reasons, you, mm. you get the fucking singer that everyone wants and the best-known guy back in the band. Right. Um, did Steve have to swallow his pride? Yeah, sure he did. Sure. Um, yeah. But they and, made and, it happen. And well, the other thing, too, is you got to realize that... So you bring the singer back, who's your marquee guy, right? But then you also... The fact that they got Adrian back, Adrian was all is, is was, and always has been the guy that has been able to write the most commercially approachable songs. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Wasted Years. He yeah. did uh, Two Minutes to Midnight. He did, um, what else did he do? And, and they're very, I mean, they're very identifiable. So that, you know, even off the, off of the last one, as soon as you heard that first single, you were like, Adrian, you just, you just heard it in the song. Um, it just has, it has something to it. Um, and yeah, so, so you, you have both of those elements come back in, not that they took full advantage of Adrian 
with this, but it's it still, it was, it was for me, I was like, fuck yeah, like Adrian's back, awesome. Um, yeah. And then a lot of people, where to keep in the Anik? <laughs> this, this was the... That was me too. Yeah, this was the, the you know, and this is this still fucking goes on. Um, yeah, I, it's still the, the, the whenever a, I go to see it, if I end up on the Yannick side, Allison will bust my balls when she yeah, finds out where I sit. It's, he'll still go, it's Bruce, Dave, Adrian, Steve, Nico, and Yannick. Yeah. It's like, is he even plugged in? He, the fucking jokes have been going around for years now. He's a fucking great guitar player. He, he is. Uh, he, again, he's, he is. He's a he's great written, guitar player. He's, and he's really plugged some in. fucking great songs with but Iron it's, Maiden. I don't care what anybody says. But it is the... It, he... It, it throws me off. It just... It, it's like... There's too many people on stage for Maiden. And... Can you stop putting your leg up into oddball freaking spots like every two minutes? Can you... Like... I'm used to that. Yeah, great. I'm an old fuck, but it's I'm used to that. Got a guy on the left and a guy on the right, and yep, occasionally they interact a little bit, but you don't have somebody, another guy who's like the whirling dervish on the guitar. It's like, nah, it's it's you leave that to the to Bruce to do, and and maybe part of that comes out of my lifelong love of Aerosmith where you have Brad on one side and you had Joe on the other side and you let Steven do his whirling dervish thing in between them. Um, and that's just kind of how, how I look at, at how I would like to see Maiden on stage as well. So, like I said, Yannick can play his ass off and he always has. And he, he you know, doesn't let people down on it and definitely his presence does allow a little bit of a different change in the songs where if there were parts that were overdubbed or whatever, he, you know, then now they can cover them. And um, musically, he doesn't sound out of place ever for me. Honestly, it's the visual, like, what the fuck's he doing now thing um, more than, than musically. Musically, I have zero problem with the guy. Yeah, because the guy can write. So now you, now you have a band that had Steve, Yannick, and then Adrian yeah. and Bruce. Yeah. So you had four writers in the band and Dave Murray would chip in yeah. rarely. Every so often. Every yeah. so often. Dave would just be Dave. Just right. But it was, play. but it, again, it was, yeah, I mean, it, otherwise, I mean, you know, I said, musically, I think Yannick is, is very solid and you don't, you don't notice that the, there's like, hey, there's a part that doesn't go. Like, you never have that at all. Um, it's just, like I said, visually, I'm like, it doesn't fucking belong. But one thing I've often wondered with Yannick is, the, the songs that they play when they go and they play the old set, mm-hmm. where where he fits in because he didn't play on any of them. Yep. None of the guitar solos are his. And I think that throws people off as well. Sure. Um, because all the solos were done by Dave or Adrian yep. or Dennis Stratton yep. um, if they're going to go way back. Sure. Um, and then when they would have done those songs after Dennis left, it would have been done by Adrian or Dave anyway. Yep. Um, and then where does where does Yannick fit in that way? Right. But sometimes you have a, you have other rhythm parts that were made counterpoint and things that are on the album that help make that song sound bigger. Yeah, I know. Not, I, not so much on the first couple; they were really straight ahead. But but you can find a spot. Yeah, for I, I know. I know Steve and the one or two of the other band guys said at the time that you know having three guitar players yes it was unusual there wasn't that many bands that had three guitar players yeah it's mostly like southern rock yeah um, or leather wolf (laughs) (laughs) yeah Um, but they said that there was sometimes extra tracks done in the studio to beef up the sound and that's where Yannick could fit in yeah exactly Um, do I do I think it ever came up that they get rid of Yannick when they got Adrian back? I don't think so. I think Steve is. It was makes, interesting makes, that they were loyal and they kept yeah, him. Yeah, I I thought it was great that they kept him. Yeah, I think, and I and I give him credit too that because I'm sure he must have had moments of like I'm fucked, like Adrian's back. Well, Adrian I'm probably fucked. went. What? Why do we need the three guitarists? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, I don't. I don't know what Bruce's thoughts were on it. But yeah, but they kept him, and I mean that's—I mean that was but good. Bruce knew Yannick. Yeah, he Bruce did. had played yep. with Yannick before. Yep. He he left Maiden on his solo stuff anyway. Yeah. Um, 
but it you know but and again it was it was the fact that Yannick has always seems very very happy with everything he seems to have a great attitude all the time and you would think that you know probably a lesser person would have some kind of other attitude about it than you know the other guy comes back and, and everything else but he always he just always seemed like he was cool with whatever it was too so i've said this about steve harris in the past his stubbornness is what makes maiden great and his stubbornness is what infuriates me about <laughs> maiden you and a lot of other people yeah, because of the, some of his decisions you're like what uh-huh you know, he, he you know it's his band and you know, look at the fucking size of the band. I'm not going to question. Yeah. You know, a lot of what he did, but some some of the decisions he made were fucking head scratching, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but this was an inevitability. I yeah, thought. and it was and, inevitable. And so you know, you start right off the bat. I look at this, and I go, "Yeah, that's a Maiden album cover." Now, granted, part of it is with like it has the same kind of hues as like Live After Death. So that was kind of my first, like, wow, that's cool. But um, I just, I look at that and go, yeah, okay, it, it, you kind of see Eddie again. That was the Derek Riggs bit was the face, yeah. wasn't it? And then so, the rest of it was, all right, you've done your bit. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's, and the other part was, and I didn't initially get it, but I didn't initially get the fact that on the back cover, they're looking up at, this Eddie Cloud on the front cover. Uh, it was kind of like, that's a stupid-ass pose. And it took me a little bit to go, oh, yeah, they're looking up at the cloud. Okay, I got it. Which, yeah, I don't I don't know. It, it's, and actually, Bruce's expression looks pretty freaking hilarious if you really look at him. It's, <laughs> he's kind of like, Jesus Christ, what did I do? <laughs> well, they'd gone out and toured uh, before they made that record. Yeah, um, was Ed Hunter the game? Yeah, which is which is actually it's actually advertised. Yeah, on the back of this one, I believe that was the tour with Bruce and Adrian uh, back before they did the record. Um, and of course, the other thing about Brave New World, um, and we'll get into that in a minute because I have to tell you where actually I bought it. Uh, I'm living in Ireland. It's ninety. When did that come out? Ninety nine. Brave New World, 99. Oh, hell, I don't remember. Um, I'm on vacation uh, in Los Angeles. 2000. 2000. I'm in LA with a friend of mine, two of us. We'd gone to Boston. We'd done five nights in Boston. I think we did five nights in San Francisco. And I think we're in Los Angeles for three days. And at this stage, I'd been fucking drinking every fucking night. (laughs) I was toast. Yeah. But I fucking knew that was coming out. Yeah. So the day that came out, uh, I was staying somewhere in Hollywood. uh, Tower Records. Tower Records, yeah. Yeah, straight down there, picked it up. This is is the copy I have. So they're still on EMI, right? So my Iron Maiden copy on CD of Braden Worlds on Portrait. Oh. Which is the label, John Kaladner's label. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the copy I bought in 2000. Huh. Um, Brave New World. Yeah. And I'm hungover. It's about 85 degrees. Uh-huh. I have a CD Walkman next to a fucking swimming pool. And I think I listened to it four times. On, on, like yeah. dying. Fucking hungover. <laughs> absolutely dying. But it's New Maiden. Yeah. Right. And the, the fucking wicker man. Mm-hmm. My God. Yeah. That's, I think that's Adrian's song. Tremendous. Yeah. Tremendous. We, before we really get into the songs, the other polarizing guy that they added was Kevin Shirley. Yeah. People, his production drives fucking people bonkers. Um, well, yeah, because you, 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 everybody associates almost, no, that early Maiden sound to Martin Birch. You know what I mean? And and Kevin is definitely not Martin Birch. Kevin is like, okay, move it along. Let's go. Move it along. Move mm. it along. You also, know? Ricky Warwick told me when I spoke to him, in a lot of ways, he he he, he was too quick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was like, Ricky was like, wait, wait, wait. No, you're done. What? what? Move on. <laughs> yeah. I think he does the Black Country Communion albums in like two or three days. It's it's just, yeah, he's, he's got a... He's the live feel guy. Yeah. It's uh right, get in, let's write. 
and I believe Maiden now, there's enough footage of them out there, that they're practically writing and recording yeah. in the studio at yeah. the same time. There's none of this, let's bring in 10 songs, do pre-production, and, you know, right. and, and work them up. It's literally like, spur of the moment, go, you're done. Yeah. Next, m- move on. Which, I mean, a lot of times that doesn't work 100%, and I think, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of songs they wrote like that that, you know, they jam during sound check or whatever, and then realize, oh man, if we had just like done it at this tempo or with this beat instead or with this riff or whatever, and and it's like because if if you're just blazing through it, you're it's like a one and done. And, and I know for me, a lot of times, yeah, I, I did definitely have songs that I wrote, and it was pretty much boom, that was it. It was it it didn't change really, except for whatever solo or whatever Mark wanted to do. But otherwise, everything else stayed the same. Yeah. But then there were others where it was things mutated and changed and and, and all of that. And there was, I had one. What was it? Um, fuck, I can't remember the name of the song. But there's a song on on the, our third CD that, and this was kind of when like grunge was hitting and stuff. I came out with some riff, and the, the guys were all like, "Yeah." And we wrote this song, and we were going to go in the studio the next week. And they were so in love with that song that we had only really done at one practice that they like wanted to record it on that CD. Which is like, we've never played this live. We've never really sussed this out. This is like, I just basically made this shit up the week before, and you guys want to like lay it down. It's like, yeah. And then after it was all done, I think if if you asked anybody on there, like, which one are you the most dissatisfied with, everybody would point to that song because it got better after we recorded it. Hmm. Yeah. But that's the way to do it. And yeah, they love doing it. Yeah. Now you end up with fucking 12 and 13 minute songs. But yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's another story altogether. I'm... I, I'm not as down on Kevin Shirley as a lot of people are. I think he's done some tremendous work. He, he did he mixed counterparts by Rush. Yep. Which to me was uh, well not I, I'm a massive eighties Rush fan anyway, all of it. Um but he heavied up the sound on that. Then he did Dream Theater's Awake. Yeah. Um I did he do it was Awake, wasn't it? He did uh, no, it was falling into infinity. Yeah, I think too. You know, with Rush too, it, that was a period too where they were really searching back to find a, like a producer that would kind of get them back to where they wanted to be as well. Mm. And but, he was he was kind of at that point they didn't need that no nonsense. Let's just get it done, kind of guy. Yeah, I've, I've read Martin Popoff's excellent book. He's done three books on Rush. And they're, ec- they're excellent. Yeah. He's done the whole discography. And there's a chapter on counterparts, and there's a lot of Kevin in it. Um, yeah. It's actually, that book's probably sitting on that desk somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> where, where Kevin t- you know, basically said, no, we're doing it this way. Yeah. <laughs> and he's a young kid. Yeah. That had a, very opinionated. Right. So now you add that to this, the pot, you've got Steve Harris, Bruce Dickinson. Right. Who's not shy of saying how he feels either. And now you've got Kevin Shirley. Right. And I know Bruce said at the time as well that he wanted, one of the reasons he, he came back was he wanted a producer. He did not want Steve Harris right. as as the producer because he was very vocal about how, how shit sounding No Prayer for the Dying was. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I know Fear of the Dark sounded a little bit better, but, you know, Kevin was a name guy at the time. Yeah. I mean, he's become more of a name guy now because he's done Journey and and you know he's done a shit ton of albums sure. now. But uh, they brought him in on that, and he's done every record since then. Right. Um, and you know, for, for all the people out there that keep criticising him that they want to get a new producer in, the, the Maiden aren't going to get a new guy in now. Yeah. He's done six records with him, I think, and uh, they're, they love working with the guy. So tough shit. Right. But you wonder, you know, go back to the Rush thing. You wonder how that, how somebody like Nis, Nick Raskolinitz would do going in and doing a Maiden album. 
Well, you wonder about a lot of guys. You know, but but he has that, he he has enough depth of knowledge, and it would just be, I to me, it's the case of could he get over the Steve Harris hump, get well, enough it. respect back from Steve that's, to that's, do what he needs to do, that's, right? That's the crux of the whole thing. Because he had, he had to convince the guys in Rush to be like, hey, you know what? Maybe this guy's got something. Let's go with it. And in that case, he had to really convince three people. And for Maiden, he's really got to convince one who's probably as stubborn as all three of those people combined. But I think he would also be somebody who would probably bring a, a really cool perspective to it. Yeah, but the Not other, that they'll ever do it. But. The other thing you have to remember about Kevin Shirley, um, when a lot of the bands he worked with, none of the musicians co-produced. It was him. Uh-huh. He went, when he went into Maiden, it was Steve Harris. Steve Harris. And him. Yeah. So they were... Even if, even if they were butting heads, mm-hmm. they were both co-producing. Right. And even this one, it's I'm pretty sure it's produced by and then co-produced by. By Steve. Yeah. He's yeah. got pro- produced by Kevin Shirley, co-produced by Steve Harris. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's no way that Steve is letting go of those reins. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think I felt better about how things were going. When this came out, well, the optics, you know, you Bruce back, you Vader back, right? Um, they were on a roll, right? And like you they, still, you still have re- a lot of long songs, yeah, but you have really, started to get some more energy. Not as much as as you would get some of the later ones, but you were still getting something else back. And yeah. even here, they're not to me, anyways. They didn't use Bruce to like his full effect on this either. Not yet. That was to come. Yeah, but you don't really. You, he's back. But he's not in like full Bruce mode well, on this. He'd been out of the band for a long time. He's probably still, you know, I know it's the same band. Yeah. But in a lot of ways, are they the same people? Yeah. Bruce had been gone for seven, eight years. Had his own solo career. It was his name on the yeah on the behind him on the stage. Right now, it's Iron Maiden's name behind him. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of hype about this record. Um. I loved it when it came out. My stance on it now is I don't love it as much as I used to. Yeah. Um, the songs that I think are fantastic on this, the mercenary, the shorter songs are excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, the mercenary is excellent. The, the fallen angel is excellent. Nomad, really good. I'm not a huge fan of Out of the Silent Planet, which was a single, and I'm mm-hmm. not a huge fan of the thin line between love and hate. Um. Blood Brothers. I like it, but it's the one fucking song from this record they keep playing in the set. <laughs> and I'm thinking, can you fucking play something else on yeah. this? Um, but The Wicker Man's fabulous. Yeah. Absolutely fabulous song. Um, and I, I think, I've, yeah, I've got the CD singles of that, and I believe one of them is Bruce singing Future Real, or, or one of the other Blaze songs. Huh. Um, I love that he does that. And I've said it before on the show. I love that Bruce does the Blaze stuff. And I fucking hate that Rob Halford won't do the fucking Ripper stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't care what fucking excuses the band give. Just fucking do it once to say you've done it. Yeah. Um. You know, Steve won't, won't brush that ear under the carpet. And Bruce sings the songs. Yeah. It would have been actually cool. I know we're doing Maiden, but since you brought it up, it, it would have been really cool. That, you know, doing this 50th anniversary run, that they didn't do a couple shows where they were like, hey, you know what? We're going to have Ripper come out and sing, like, two or three songs. You know, that would have been really, that would have been really cool to do something like that as well. Beyond the whole, I've had, be cool to bring KK I've read in interviews, if KK, of course, has worked with him in the last couple of years, KK's priest. Yep. Loves the guy. You read in interviews that Glenn had over the years, loved the guy. Ian Hill, same thing. Yeah. And you wonder, just do it once. Yeah. You know, either bring him up. Yeah. Or Rob, just. Yeah. Just do one or two yeah, songs. I mean, I, just, I, just do Cathedral Spires. Just do one song. Yeah, I, I look at it as, uh, and granted, they're, it's 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 kind of not the same thing, but you know, when when Metallica when they did their 30th anniversary shows, right? And they brought up Ron McGovney 
and they brought Pretty up Dave Mustaine. And, and, yeah, they brought you know, up everybody. They, yeah, they brought up everybody, and it was and it was so cool that they did that, you know. And it's like, okay, well, here's Maiden. You're going to do your fiftieth. Fuck it. Well, just like do it. People people will freaking love it. Well, here's another take I have on that. So you've all these people that say with Priest um, that they don't want to hear Rob sing any of the Ripper songs. That, you know, it wasn't Priest without without Rob. Okay, and that, that's your, your entitled to your opinion. I, I get it. Yeah. Um, so does that mean that every single person who says that never went to any of the pre-shows when Ripper was in the band? Every single one of them? Yeah, I, I doubt that. I doubt that as yeah. well. Um, and ri- some of the stuff Ripper did is fucking excellent. Yeah. One song. You know, we, I saw the Epitaph tour. It was two and a half hours long. Yeah. Right? And then they've done over two hour shows since then. Um, just play one fucking song. Yeah. Please. <laughs> it's not, it's not going to happen. It just infuriates me because... The two biggest metal bands who suffered the most, I think, in the 90s were Maiden and Priest. And Maiden has, I'm not saying fully embraced the Blaze era. They fucking played four or five songs off it. Yeah. Priest have done none of it. Right. Nothing. Yeah. Even Anthrax now, they've pulled out only. Mm -hmm. Joey's singing only. Yeah. I don't know how many other, other John Bush stuff he's done, but you can't say Anthrax have ignored it. Yeah. They've done it. Yeah. Um... And the other thing that Rob Halford says, he's never heard any of the Ripper stuff bullshit. <laughs> it's, that's just an easy way of answering that question. You fucking listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know that if if I was Rob Halford, I would be like, oh, I kind of fucked up. I wonder how this guy sounds. Oh, fuck. He's pretty good, <laughs> you know? Hmm. But, yeah. a, a but, tan- but another tangent. Anyway. But anyways, Maiden, I think... <laughs> I, I like the fact that, I mean, I know it's it's all just House Huxley and stuff, but the fact that it's like, okay, you get Bruce back, you get Adrian back. This is, to me, it's like this poetic thing, right? It's a brave new world for Maiden going back. So I thought it was pretty cool that they actually did that, despite the fact that, you know, yeah, there's a song called that too, but I just thought that it was a really good way of packaging this as well. Mm. Mm. You know. It's a really good record, though. Um I just, I'm not as fond of it now as I was when it came out. Mm-hmm. When it came out, I thought it was the dog's bollocks because I had Bruce and Adrian right. back well, in my favourite, one of my favourite bands. You had two albums before that were like, mm-hmm. now you get this, you get that excitement. But since then, you have other albums that have come out yeah. after that as well. Mm-hmm. And so, and but But sonically, Brave New World, pisses all over the X Factor and yeah, Virtual yeah. Eleven. Like there's there's no comparison. Like it just fucking jumps at you in the speakers. And yeah. That's one of the things I love about Kevin Shirley. Yeah. He had to fit all that all these guys and mix it like you've three guitar players now. Right. And he he was able to do it and the fucking thing jumps at you. Yeah, but they, at this point too they get you get the studio squared away too because you know, before that, you know, the barn was pretty much sounded like a barn. So, you know, <laughs> it's <was> cheap, <laughs> but it's, uh, I think, yeah, he squared that away. And so it's, it's, they redeem themselves back with this. Yeah. And, and that was, in my opinion, and I know we're back to the priest comparison again. I know Rob came back. That to me was a bigger deal than Rob joined, rejoining Judas priest for me. Yeah. Um, and I know they did it a few years before Rob Rob mm-hmm. did it. Um, but I, in my opinion, that record, Brave New World, was a better comeback record than Angel of Retribution. Uh, I don't know about that. That doesn't have Loch Ness on it. No, it doesn't. There's some, <laughs> there's some ballad stuff on Retribution, which is like, okay, so Rob got to do what he wanted to do. But it, it a lot of retribution did kind of come roaring at you. It's so, Hellriders. There's some really good stuff. On there it. is. Yeah, yeah. Hellriders. Excellent. And so it was like, ooh, like this is good. So I think I think I engaged more with with Angel than this. 
but this was definitely for me it was it was more so Adrian back yeah. than Bruce back mm-hmm. but that's just the guitar player yeah really. and then of course they actually they've actually gone and done what they said they would do they said it wasn't for the short term mm-hmm. and the fucking lineup's still going yep they've done I think it's six records six seven they've done definitely six um, and they're out again touring yeah this year yeah and Long, well, as long, long may it continue as long as it can. I think Steve Harris just turned 68, 69. I think he's he's, he's up there. Yeah. Um, they're all up there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, I hope it continues. I hope they do another record. Um, but as comebacks go, very yeah. strong. Yeah, definitely. And it was yeah. very, very well received at the time. Yeah, and it was... I'm glad that this week's wasn't a case of going from fear of the dark to 11, because that would have just been a horrible three. At least we end on a higher note with Brave New World. No, I said it already. I don't hate X Factor. My my opinion of it has actually grown over the years. Yeah. Virtual 11, I actually don't like as much. Yeah. For me, like I, those two are just... They're, they have their moments. They're just dirgy and they don't really connect with me. Hmm. Where at least with with Brave New World, it's like okay, yeah, there's some stuff in here that I'm 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 really digging. So and there's people again. There's people out there that they fucking hated the fact that Dickinson came back. Yeah, that they love what Blaze did and good good for you. Right. Um, I'm never going to knock anyone else who likes something that I don't. Yep. Um, I leave the other people on social media to do that. Except maybe K-pop <laughs> or something. I'm not. I, I, I but uh. Yeah, so that's that three done. Yeah. So onwards and upwards for the next one is Dance of Death. Yes, the great flat cover. That's all I look at that cover and just think, flat. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> it's just flat. From the first day I ever saw it. Yeah, we'll get flat. into that. We'll get, in, we'll get into that. All right. Well, I think that'll do it for uh, for another week of Focus on Metal. So for myself and... Richie. Have yourselves a great middle week, and until we talk to you again, as always, remember... Focus on metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.